Alrighty, guys, we're back. And, wow, that didn't work. Welcome back to Mogs. There we go. Words work sometimes. Uh, we got the original four in the house today. Jensen, Ben, John, and Tom. Uh, we got like a mix of topics today. Not really one super duper big topic, but we'll see where it goes. Definitely going to lean on the training side today. And then I think we're also going to talk about the coach-client relationship a bit. Um, but... We were talking before we started recording about uh, John Ballard's training with Nate Spears, big ass open guy, and uh, it started leading us to a discussion about volume, intensity, all those things with training. So, John, I'll let you get right back into it, and Tom, you're kind of talking about it too. Just get back to where you were because I like that where we were at with that. John, you're saying he that Nate literally starts at the does he start at the middle or the bottom of yeah, the you know, pretty, pretty low. Um, and, you know, I, I want to preface this with, I think the term, like we would say junk volume. I would say like if, if someone who couldn't connect with their quads, we would definitely apply this as junk volume. Right. Um, <clears throat> but given the context where it, I, I think all of us are big into progressive overload, it may not exactly apply because I'm sure all of us are getting to that point now where it's like the pros and cons of maybe the loads that need to be moved to get the stimulus, the cons start to get a, a lot higher. And so, hey, <laughs> I'm kind of at that point right now where I'm sure many of you are where I'm like, I'm trying to do everything possible to not have to spend 45 minutes loading up plates on the hack squad. So um i was like you know what i trained with nate i'll let you lead the way whatever you need to do um if you guys follow nate he's someone who hasn't always had the best legs so he's had to work and kind of figure out what works best for him to really get them going and um that started with about like 10 sets of leg extensions um before we even got to any work so we started i want to say like I don't know, maybe 70 um, pounds. And it was, we're going to do sets of 20 until you can't do sets of 20 anymore. Um, and then when you can't, then you're going to do a rest pause. So in total, what I would say qualify is working sets was about three, but there was definitely some pre-exhaust leading up to that. And I was telling Ben, I was like, by the time I got to the hack squat, my quad pump was insane. Like I didn't need to really do anything for um the hacked well like i think i got maybe like four or five plates on there and i was just trashed so yeah i guess we can kind of lead the conversation there and i'll let you guys you know chime in on what your thoughts are um because you said you did something similar oh um in terms of um volume or i'm not exactly sure what we're well, you said you did something similar with the leg extension protocol, so I was curious. Okay, so yeah, so um, John was saying, you know, he was doing leg extensions with um, Nate, and he was doing um, 70 pounds for like 20 reps until he couldn't do it anymore. Um, I've done something similar like that, too. Um, there's a been a bunch of times in my past where I've done similar protocols in terms of, you know, doing as much volume as possible, especially when I started. Um, Sorry, actually, this I, I just want to say we were dropping a pin each set. So you, we were, it was like a, um, a pyramid set almost. Sorry. I okay. 
Yeah. Oh, so you're doing like 70, 90, 100. Yeah, yeah. All, and I think we got up to like 170 or 190. And I was like, dude, my quads are blowing up. But yeah, sorry. I should have prefaced with that. All good. Uh, I've done the actual reverse of that. So I would start at my heaviest weight and just do a drop set and just drop the pins. Like one pin, go to failure. One pin, go to failure. Um, we've probably all tried doing something similar to that, kind of like running the rack um, on dumbbell laterals. But besides that, um, my training journey actually started with um, picking up Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding. That was literally my first exposure to bodybuilding. Went to Barnes & Nobles with my dad when I was 17 years old. I was like, yep, I kind of want to look like this in the future. And I was like, well, probably never will, but I'll, I'll try. I'll give it a go for a little bit. And here we are, bodybuilding and shit. Um, but if you guys ever read that book and read his workouts in there, it was two training sessions a day. Um, six days a week and my dumbass was like okay more is more when you're a kid and you think you know coming from a sports background you're like all right hardest worker in the room Kobe Bryant I want to be just like them so I'm going to do as much as possible um, in this period of time and you quickly learn um, I actually was one of those people who two months into training I was overtrained. I already knew what that felt like like my mouth had sores in it um, my, my knees were beat up. I couldn't sleep at night. I was like, damn, this is overtraining. And, you know, throughout um, high school, I was still kind of doing that similar protocol. And I was just kind of running my head into the wall, not knowing why. Wasn't recovering, get, get to college and then start following guys like Joe Bennett, um, hypertrophy coach, uh, Jordan Peters, um, and some of those more low volume, high intensity guys. And as soon as I switched to that, my whole progress changed. It was like, um, I got newbie gains again just because of that switch of stimulus. And that kind of frames my whole opinion on this whole volume versus intensity debate is uh, we could get into it a little bit more. But I think what you're doing before matters what your decision making is going forward into what you are going to be doing. You can't always do the same thing forever. You can't always hammer yourself into the wall. Uh, you can't always, you know, do... Uh, set to failure on hack squats and expect the same results every single time. At some point, you are going to have to switch the stimulus, whether it's because of injury, uh, stalling, plateauing, or et cetera. And that's where um, I think we can get into this discussion of volume versus intensity. Love it. I almost think that sometimes for people, like it has to be stages for the you know volume and intensity type thing, where in the beginning, you're going to need to practice the movements more so you can actually feel what you're trying to work you know if you're going straight into bodybuilding training so doing more sets of certain movements is going to allow you to connect with that better and get more out of it and then after maybe just a short-ish you know maybe a few months period of that then i think for the majority of the next i don't know year maybe two you should be focusing on continuing to develop that connection with what you're trying to train on each movement while also truly mastering actually taking sets to failure. Because I think the big divide between people who are like, eh, there's only under recovery, there's not overtraining. And then the people that are like, mm, no, you can actually overtrain is the people that are like, mm, no, you can actually overtrain. I've done it. Already trying to know from the get go how to go to failure or damn close to it and do it over and over and over again. Because like you said, they have that more is more mentality. Like, Coming from swimming, we would the way that our coach put it was like the more yards that you swim, that's like putting money in a bank, and then you cash them all out when you do a 
taper at the end of the season. So I went into training with that idea as well. I quickly realized that like, no, hitting failure matters more than like, or, you know, getting close to it matters more than just doing a zillion sets. But I think the one good thing about doing a zillion sets in the beginning is I learned like, okay, when I move my body this way, I feel it this way. When I move it this way, I feel it more of this way. So it's like, like Tom, like you said, what you come from before kind of matters because if I had never built that connection with all of those excessive amounts of sets in the beginning where I was probably to some degree overtraining, even though I wasn't able to quite go to failure, the lower volume training after that wouldn't have been as productive. I wouldn't have understood tempo. I would have beat myself up a lot more. So I would have gotten really strong with the movements, but I would have just destroyed myself even more in the process. And I think um, with the whole framing, the discussion between beginners, um, this topic, I don't really think matters too, too much for beginners in terms of, oh, I should really focus on volume versus intensity or RAR or stuff like that. Obviously, you're going to need some degree of volume, some degree of intensity, but you know, as a beginner, you can get away with a lot in terms of doing too little and still making progress and doing too much and still making progress. You could... Uh, definitely get away with either of those. And you can also go, you know, kind of the other route where someone would be like, well, you don't need too many sets as a beginner to grow. So why do all of that volume if you could just do two sets and still grow, uh, which is also a good point. But I kind of, you know, agree with Jensen in terms of getting that practice in long term. If you just set that ground from day one to like month six of just, hey, I'm coming in, not worrying about anything besides my form. That's going to set you up for the rest of your career of having good execution and perhaps eliminating injury. So uh, before you even start to worry about all these little details about RAR, volume, intensity, or anything, just make sure you're focusing on the bare minimum, which we all know is execution. Yeah. Uh, so then I'm curious to hear this because, Tom, I know you're kind of like me where you like to log things um, for Jensen and Ben. Ben, I mean, doesn't even train headphones on. So. Yeah. <laughs> definitely a bit more intuitive um do you two aim to go in and do the same movements do you have the same amount of sets like that you're aiming to hit each week are you aiming to progress some lifts and then i guess when they stall out so like how do you two kind of go about your training and what i will say is as jensen touched on this earlier it kind of matters where you've come from to what got you to there that you may have to necessarily change, or maybe it was Thomas said that to continue progressing. And I can tell you all last week, I didn't log a single thing with um, Nate. And it was probably some of the best training I've had in a while where it was like, dude, just fucking get out of your head, stop looking at the numbers and just go in and focus on, you know, really connecting with the movements. Um, so where does, I, I guess you two kind of fall with that in terms of, I guess your training and setting it up. So I can touch on this right now because I'm currently in a little experimentation slash um, sort of like playing around with uh, things right now in terms of my training. But um, pretty much like I said before, you know, my whole since I started seriously bodybuilding has been more of that low volume, um, uh, low volume, high intensity kind of approach that JP approach where I kind of kept volume more static across a block. Um, and kind of uh, manipulated load and reps and uh, intensity in order to create that progressive overload stimulus across that block. But right now, what I'm actually doing is I'm work currently working with Mike, who's been on the podcast before. And what happened with me is I would just keep running into 
uh, walls where I would have to take a week off the gym every six to eight weeks, like week completely off, not training just because I would keep getting absolutely run into the ground. So Mike was like, Hey, you know, let's, you know, not necessarily push things to failure every single set. Let's maybe just do a little bit more sets. So that's what I've been kind of doing recently, you know, kind of using RAR slash RPE. Don't really like saying that, but <laughs> it kind of hurts the ego a little bit. But honestly, I've been kind of enjoying it, to be honest, and uh, noticing a different stimulus in terms of uh, feeling a little bit more pumped, more sore, not necessarily as run down uh, psychologically, neurologically. Um, and kind of the plan with this block is to keep um, intensity kind of static, not in terms of uh, you know, having to focus on adding weight or adding reps every single week, uh, just kind of maintain kind of roughly where I'm at, make slow progressive uh, progressions in terms of load and reps across the block, but not every single week um, and kind of, you know, manipulating volume in terms of working sets, um, increasing across the block now. And I think that, you know, I'll, I'll reserve my opinion until I'm completely done with this a little experimentation, but I think there's definitely application for it, especially when you get someone who may have uh, some recovery issues. You know, I was going through some health issues uh, last year, uh, which definitely I think still kind of plays a role in terms of my recovery. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to be doing this style of training forever, but for right now, I think it's sort of like the best kind of decision for me personally. Is that more intuitive or are you still glued to your logbook? Um... Or you um, step back from that. It's intuitive, but I would still write down my numbers, but I'm not necessarily looking at it before every single session and just obsessing over, okay, I need to beat this. Um, I'll write it down. So say if I did a pendulum squat with like five plates per side for 10 reps and uh, I'll write it down. If I get nine reps the next week, I'm not freaking out like I used to. Um, if I get eight reps again, maybe I'll start freaking out. Uh, but uh, right now, you know, I'm not necessarily too focused on um, paying attention to those numbers, but I still write them down. And then Jensen and Ben, what about you two? Just because, like I said, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone. Uh, and I'm just going to use Ben as an example, to be completely honest, because Ben fucking, I think, has that intuitive sense to be able, sense to be able to kind of have like, casual conversation between sets and then just flip the switch and go to that place which i know um oh i should know his name uh um talks about quite a bit um, he's the open dusty handtrail he talks about it quite a bit oh, like, yeah. you know his earlier training it was like don't talk to me where he's like now it's just like hey what's up man and they shoot the shit in between and then like the set comes and it's it's time to lock in so are, are do you have set numbers that you're aiming for do you have set exercises do you even follow a split so um at the moment no because i'm in a cruise so i'm just kind of chilling having fun you know before it gets super serious when i get into a prep but okay I've so in, in your most progressive phases i guess that would yeah. be the most applicable. <clears throat> not everyone's I mean, gonna cruise yeah, no, in, in the most strict of phases, maybe let's say last year, whenever I was in the in the bulk of my my off season, um, I wouldn't really track weight, to be honest with you. Like there would be some workouts that I would have that I would follow, but like I'm just sort of if I go into the gym and something doesn't feel really right on a certain day, I'm not like I have to do this movement for three sets for 10 reps. Like it's just kind of if it works that day, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm not really focused on, I have to keep it at five plates on the hack squat. If I lose a plate, I'm, I'm lost. Like 
if things feel good and five plates feel good, cool. If I'm feeling extra good, maybe I'll do six. If I'm not, maybe I'll go down to four and like change the intensity um, approach where I'll do a pause rep or slower negatives or something like that. I'm really more so focused on getting a good workout rather than having an, a, a strong movement. Like it, it's just, it's really hard for me to put into words exactly because I don't even write it down or have it organized. It's just, I go in there and generally most days I use the same things, but some days I don't. I'm just more so looking for the overall I worked this muscle. I got enough stimulus for it to grow. I don't really care what exercises I use to get that. Um, and yeah, I mean, that just sort of summarizes, I guess, how I go about it. I know it doesn't sound super organized, but yeah, that's yeah. pretty much what I do. So then, like, do you have like, hey, I want to do, I don't know, we'll say eight total working sets on legs or anything like that. Right. Yeah. I'm kind of shooting for around the same sets per workout, um, you know, for legs, since it's pretty taxing and those are really big movements, say a hack squat or, or an actual back squat um, legs. I'll probably go about like 12 sets, not really much more, maybe 14 if I'm feeling it. But um, yeah, I mean, even there, it always ends up around the same, but I'm not really shooting for a specific amount of sets, but to touch on that a little more, you know, if you're in the beginning phases of things, you might want to organize things a little bit more. I've just been doing it so long that I don't really think too much about it. And then each workout ends up with the same result just naturally. But if you're in the beginning and you don't really know, hey, how many sets is too much? You know, do I feel good today? Should I do this amount of weight? Is it risky? Is it not risky? I'm always thinking about these things just subconsciously, but a beginner might not. So having a little more organization while still practicing those movements and giving yourself the time to practice them would probably be the best approach for a beginner. But eventually you're just going to understand, hey, today I feel good. I can do 14 sets. The next day, maybe you don't feel as good. You do 10. It, like you're really just trying to get the best workout you can for any given day because all of us know each day is not the same. We wake up feeling differently every day. So if you're having a good day, run with it. You know, maybe you can get a little extra progression out of that day because you're rested. The stars align. If you have a shitty day, I'd rather go in the gym and do six to eight sets than do no sets. So it's like, you know, just sort of judge how you feel day to day. And eventually you'll understand how to do that. But it does take practice and time to be able to intuitively do that um, week to week. Yeah. So Ben, you kind of hit on a really good thing at the end. I'll use different training modalities depending on how I'm feeling in different ways that day. So if I go in and I'm like, man, I'm already pumped before I even walked in the gym. My sleep was great. Like I just woke up with a bunch of great energy. There's nothing holding me back from going pretty, I don't want to say like super heavy, but you know, like a, a top set of eight to 12 on hack squats. And I've been looking at that PR for like two months and I'm like, man, I haven't really had a great opportunity to, you know, nail that in a great way. Then that might be the day where I just do like two sets of leg extensions with like 12 to 20 reps before that. And that's like my tiny bit of pre-fatigue before that. And I'll just do like extra warm-up stuff and then really take my time warming up, nail that, be like, cool, there's my progressive overload. It's a significant PR. I don't have to do that again for another two months. Um, but then somewhere in, it's not usually like literally two months. It's usually more like a month or so. I'm allowed to go heavy more than once every two months. But if I go in and I'm like, mm, knees feel a little funny, probably not going to go hard on hack squats. So if I'm just like, uh, I just, the strength falls off after the first two sets of me doing something, 
um, I'm probably not going to bother to do like, and I'm already losing the pump or something. What would be the purpose in me doing a bunch more sets? I'm going to lose sensation at some points and I'm really not doing that that much in my opinion. Um, you're probably just draining yourself even more for other exercises that you might still be able to connect well with and maybe progressively overload if you just go to those after two working sets. Um, but the other thing that's nice too is like we go to a super nice gym. So there is equipment of every different muscle group um, that is very, very solid that you can even set up, you know, three different versions of a movement on the same machine. Like I do two different types of rows on the same machine for the chest supported um, row. Like I'll do an upper back version and I'll do a lat version. So it's like just easy example there. But EOS, right? Or crunch? That's where you train? <laughs> yeah, maybe we go to crunch. So, yeah, exactly. If I go to crunch, there's only like three things that I can really do that feel good to actually nail my lats. Um, if I go to MI40, there's 10 different things I can do. So I can almost be more intuitive and give less fucks and just fly through my workout if someone's on my sacred single arm pull down prime machine at MI40 that we all love so much. I think we all, <laughs> I think we all love that red prime pull down machine quite a bit. Oh. Um, but when you have more options, it's like you almost naturally can be less super strict to log book in a sense. Cause it's like, Oh, we got lunchbox over on the single arm pull down for 30 minutes. Uh, <laughs> so I should, don't worry about that one guys. Fucking lunchbox. If you know, oh, you know, <laughs> um, I'm an asshole, but look, <laughs> I don't, I don't, but I love, them, but I don't. Um, anyway, if we get, if we go to like another movement, it's like, cool, that's, that's no net loss, but say you're at a gym where all they have is barbells. Okay. Well then you're stuck doing just bent over rows of maybe two different variations, then finding some pull-up bar that you can do, you know, more of a vertical pull down. So it's like, you don't have as many options. You're going to net like that point. You probably should give a fuck about the logbook because how much are you really going to be able to super manipulate just like a straight pull-up bar and just a straight barbell for those movements? Not as much. It would be really weird. It would maybe just mess up your general movement pattern. Doing but, that. but then also within that, so like what we're talking about really as a whole is how many tools we have, right? Mm -hmm. We have a bunch of machines, any given gym, whatever. Everybody's different with what they have. But then with Within that, you have how many sets I can do, how many reps I can do. But then below that, pause in the hole, like you can change the way you're doing the rep execution. And all of those are tools. And I guess now that I've thought about it a little more, I could summarize the way I look at things. I'm using all those tools in different ways every day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the same. Maybe I have a whole week where I'm doing the same method that whole week because that's just working. But if I'm waking up, I'm like, fuck, this hurts. I might change it up to get the same goal of having a good workout and progressing forward. But we have all these tools that we can use. And I think that's the most important thing for people to understand is identifying your tools and using them, you know, day to day based on how you feel. Okay. So you touched on it. And so that we don't go off on a tangent too much on how each of us trains, let's reel it in and put it into words as to how this could be applicable to someone who maybe is trying to gain something from this podcast. Ben, I know you train with, I'm sorry, uh, you train with Andre. How, if, if mm -hmm. I, if, if one of our listeners was Andre, how can you put what you just said or how you break down your training or any of us break down our training into words 
that maybe is going to be applicable. Because I know for a fact, if I was listening to this or I was telling my clients, I'd be like, nope, you're a fucking idiot. Don't do anything they just said because you do not know yeah. what failure is. <laughs> Like, do not intuitively train. Do not go in and change shit every time you go into the gym. So how could we, I guess, make this beneficial to the crowd listening? Jump in, Jensen. I would say have a stage where you try out different exercises for, I don't know, maybe two or three months, okay? Not a lot of structure. You're just finding out what you connect with well, okay? Three months experimentation with movements. You can learn how to train intense during that time as well. Then maybe for another three months or so, maybe a little bit longer, because it'll probably take time to really work with this, maybe maybe six months. Try more of a progressive overload type of modality. So try to pick those movements that are your favorite, show them some love for an extended period of time, and you'll get really, really good with those movements that you've already identified are going to work with you for a long time. You'll get strong on them. You'll learn the tiny little changes that you need to make. And then after another period of that, if you're like, hey, I'm burnt out on these movements, I'm getting little aches and pains from these movements, cool. Then go back into like an experimentation phase, but maybe still keep the base of those things that you had in that progressive overload phase that do work for you, but just fuck around with some of the little stuff. Like there's no reason to change anything, in my opinion, if it's working super well. I mean, that would be kind of crazy, but I think kind of altering, alternating between those phases. Like I know me and Ben, for example, real life example, we tend to experiment with our exercises more run around a cruise because we know the progressive overload is not going to realistically fly up as much. But then when I'm doing a growth phase, I'm going to stick to the same movements a bit more consistently because I know I'm going to be able to push. I will be able to will myself with food and drugs and mindset to accomplish that progressive overload while still having a good bias for a good six month period. If I'm actually you know doing everything fucking right. Okay, I'm gonna play devil's advocate and say, well, in a uh, in a cruise, we should be maintaining our strength so that we can make sure we're not losing tissue. Yeah, <laughs> maybe going through a cleanup phase. How would you respond to that? I guess if a if a client says that, I'd say that's a good ass point, John. That's the best <laughs> counterpoint that I absolutely agree with. <laughs> but to be on, you know play both sides of the fence. I completely agree. Like I'll tell people like, Hey, if you're not connecting with this exercise, go into the gym, find a movement that you can use very little weight and you just connect with great because more than likely we're going to be able to drive progression with that. And I know we wanted to touch on exercise selection, um, training volume versus intensity and stuff like that. So yeah, it's Ben, I don't know if you had anything to, to put in there as to how you could uh, relay this to Andre. I would say if you find yourself in a cruise period and you're trying to hold on to as much tissue as possible, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but diet's really important. So that is a given, but um, yeah, you want to maintain your strength, but I don't really believe necessarily that it matters exactly what movements you're doing that on, you know, like you have a hack squat, you worked up to eight plates while you're on your blast, you're going into your cruise, you're trying to keep it at eight plates. Well, okay, cool. Maybe you want to go to pendulum squat. You know, if you're training, it, I think mainly the most important thing within that phase to maintain muscle is effort. And each, each exercise that you're doing, if you're taking it to that point and not like being honest with yourself, not taking away weight. Cause you're like, fuck, I don't want to do that. Like do your best, but like, let's be honest, you're probably going to lose a little bit of strength when you're in a cruise. And really, I think just 
doing your best to train hard on movements that you feel is more important than necessarily keeping an exact weight on an exact exercise. I think, uh, are you framing that, you know, as towards someone who may be more of a beginner like Andre, or are you talking more so to someone who may be more advanced like yourself? Are you referring to me? That's because a good point. I thought we're, yeah, I just thought we we're framing this, but if we're framing this. Yeah, no, so that, that was my question, right? Because I know our people, we want to be able to give a takeaway from this podcast. So yeah. I want to be able to, I guess, put it in best layman terms. How could we go into the gym and take everything that it took the last decade for all of us to figure out and smooth that over so someone doesn't take a decade, right? Like I hindsight's always 2020. So, you know, after the last week, I'm like, fuck, man, did I really just put myself in, you know, the mental anxiety and shit that going into the gym for no reason when I could have been going in and just kind of training intuitively. So is what takeaway could we give to someone who's like listening to this and they're like, damn, you know, I, I don't necessarily need to be Jordan Peters and trained like that, or I don't necessarily need to be going into the gym and, and training like Derek Lunsford and, and not have any type of structure at all. Maybe. Cause if you guys all talk to Derek, then he's like, yeah, I, you know, I'm, you know, I train six days a week and I go in basically off of how I feel. And it's like, well, dude, fucking no one knows how they feel when they first get into the gym the first five years. So yeah. I, yeah. I think part of it is if you're new, you can know that you're building muscle, even if it's not exactly where you want it. You can know that you're building muscle if you're new, if you're progressively overloading. But at some point, you're going to get so good with training and you're also just going to have seen yourself build muscle over time that you can loosen it up in a sense where you're like, I still have trust in the process. I can know that I'm still building muscle, even if I'm not doing that exactly. I think you kind of have to like earn the ability to free ball it a little bit. But in the beginning, it's like if you want that guarantee of like, okay, am I hitting the big things that I need to do in the gym to grow than being strict with the movements. Once just you have a little preliminary period of trying out different movements is probably like the safest way to know that you are definitely doing something good. Yeah. And, and I think too, like a logbook for a beginner as a coach, giving that instruction to a beginner to me is more so to make sure that they're training hard enough. You know, if you're tracking things, and you know exactly what you did the week before, you know what expectations you should have for yourself in the gym the next week. Once you sort of know how to get to that spot and training hard enough every single time, I personally believe it becomes less important the more into it you get. But in the beginning, it's a good way to make sure that you're you're checking your boxes. So I'm going to frame this kind of like um, a pyramid sort of, and what's on the bottom is kind of like the most a uh, basic baseline and what's at the top is like kind of the least important. So, you know, with nutrition, obviously the bottom would be calories being the most important calories in calories out and everything kind of stacks on top of that. But I think overall, the number one baseline thing for anything regarding training um, is execution. If you don't have that, then everything else doesn't really fucking matter because you're not doing the most basic thing perfectly or as perfect as you can. 
After that, then you start to come into the nuances of volume and intensity. Um, how much volume should I do? How much intensity should I do uh, for these specific given exercises? Above that would be exercise selection. So um, if you're picking movements that, you know, fit your body well and you can you interplay it, exercise selection could be more important than volume and, and intensity, depending on the individual, obviously. And whoever we're framing this discussion around kind of needs to have that self um, sort of confidence of knowing where they're at in their own training journey, because we could be giving this advice to a person who's just starting out and uh, kind of why I brought up, like we're framing this for Andres, because I would not tell someone who's just starting out to just go in and do whatever you want, have a little bit more structure um, with your training. And like you guys said, you can earn that ability to, to kind of auto-regulate things over time, which basically means, if you don't know what auto-regulate means, it just means change based on how you feel uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, if you and don't I know what auto-regulate means, you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you don't know the definition of it, probably should not be doing it. It's like people taking DHB and they don't even know what the fuck it stands for. <laughs> but um would you didn't mean to cut you off. would you guys agree with the idea that perhaps maybe a middle of the line thing with the experimenting versus being consistent with progressive overload for like a newbie or someone a little bit past newbie like Andre is maybe you should be really consistent with the movement pattern, like the general movement pattern, but you can fuck around with exactly what you know implement machine whatever cables you want to use to accomplish that movement pattern because i think a that's a good way to experiment but still have like a very solid base of consistency in place and then also uh that's also realistic for people i mean if someone if i have a client who's like you know doesn't have something like mi40 or exile or dmp iron or whatever and they're gonna have to work in with people for like 30 fucking minutes to do some specific wide grip pull down that i want them doing but there's a machine that can accomplish 80 percent the same thing right next to them even before i get a chance to be like hey it's okay if you do that i want them to know like hey still accomplish your whole workout you can change that one thing if you need to but these are the sets of exercises that are similar enough that you can swap that shit out yeah that's super important because what's perfect on paper we can all talk about all day you know what's perfect on paper but when you actually apply that to the real world where people are training in busy gyms, you can't be giving them a Milos giant set workout. It's just not practical. You can't be telling people, hey, if you're training by yourself, let's do drop sets on the hack squat. And they're just, you know, getting up off that fucking hack squat, taking off two plates and then hopping back on uh, five minutes later. It's just there's certain practicalities within training that need to be accounted for, especially when you're dealing with uh, people who may not necessarily be of the competitive realm and you're just talking about more so lifestyle people trying to get in shape uh then those variables that i was talking about at the top of the the pyramid become a little bit less important for those individuals just nail the basics get enough volume per session get enough um uh, get your ex exercise selection down get your execution down and make sure you're training at least hard enough to to cause some type of stimulus yeah and i think it's it's uh the best way i describe this when i'm on my onboarding call is when I'm reviewing things and I'll tell people I'm not glued to exercises, I'm glued to planes of motion. So there's a million ways to hit your upper chest. 
Find the one that works best for you. I want some sort of upper chest pressing movement. Okay. This can be on a machine. It can be on, you know, a barbell, whatever, probably not a barbell, but um, <laughs> yeah. So that's, I think the, the kind of the best way to describe that there. Um, so I think one other thing I want to touch on before we go into volume versus intensity is what everyone's opinion is for that newer individual. And I think we could all say newer individual has a giant range of years of experience in the gym. For some of us that are very consistent, that may be one to three years for someone who's maybe a little less inconsistent. And they were, they would consider that experience when they started lifting, maybe in college swimming, like Jensen, where it had no application to what we're doing now, um, is it's a very different. So, um, what is your personal opinion on the execution versus intensity in newer individuals in paralysis by analysis? Because I know for a fact, Ben, when you train with Andre, there's times where he's like, he's going and you can see him thinking. And I'm like, I came over one set and I was like, stop fucking thinking. Just go. Just fucking go. Right. So where does everyone stand on that? And I guess maybe even teaching that within your clients. So that, oh, go ahead, Jensen. I, I was just going to say a quick one, and then I'll actually let you go. I was just going to say one thing that we haven't brought up yet is it so much depends on athlete psychology. It so much depends. I'll have, I mean, a 40-year-old working mom who hasn't lifted before, and you can just, I, I can literally see in people's training footage, I'm like, they look nervous. They're borderline shaking getting into this leg press where I just told them to go even deeper than last week and even with a little bit more weight. That's different than the, like, 21 year old kid. I have Aaron who's in the, I forget if he's in the army or Marines, but he's in one of them. And he's like, I love him. He's a crazy fucking hothead. So I look at him and I'm like, yeah, we're going to have to focus more on you getting quality out of your sets because I already know he's ready to just go balls to the fucking wall. Every single set he, I have to pull him back from what he's doing. So that is one factor too, to just keep in mind for everyone as we go through these answers on to you, Tom. So working with a lot of people from, you know, kind of my generation, 24 and younger, um, I typically see, you know, kind of two uh, archetypes of individuals that come across my desk. And one of them is going to be that typical bro who just comes in, doesn't know too much and just absolutely gets after it. Like Jensen was talking about his client. Um, and the other person is going to be that person who's just looked up online countless amount of times and has never stepped a foot in the gym and actually taking a set to failure before in their entire life. And they're worried about what their angle is on a tricep extension or some, some bullshit like that. Um, and you know, how you frame that is going to be based on who you're talking to. Um, that person who is going balls to the walls, you may be like, okay, you know, just be a little bit more cerebral with your approach. Um, you know, apply a little bit more nuance to those movements, give, slow down a little bit, you know, take a little bit more pauses when you need to and do things to avoid injury first and foremost. Um, and that, that individual who's kind of more of uh, more in the, you know, science side of things, a little bit more optimal training, uh, you need to take that person, just be like out of their comfort zone and just be like, hey, you know, I know this movement may not necessarily be the best perfect thing on paper, but I want you to do it. And I want you to take it a failure because all your fucking sets have been, you know, 12 reps in reserve and you're, that's why you're not growing. So it really depends on how you frame that discussion and who you're actually talking to. So I really like how you uh, brought that up, Jensen. Yeah. Ben, you got anything? 
I need reminded what the actual topic we're, we're <laughs> going over here. I'm getting lost. No, you're good. I think let's transition what to versus uh, what? Um, intensity versus volume and kind of that debate where it should be. Um, and I think we could probably even sprinkle in some RER, RPE there, because obviously intensity will be a part of that, and especially even volume. So, yeah. Yeah, there's not much left I need to say that we've already gone over it all. And, and another one, too, that we sort of brought up because it has interplay, obviously, with volume and such is frequency. I think there's a lot of different theories about that, and I think <laughs> that they're all kind of right in a sense. But I had one specific example that we can probably explain a lot through going through this example. So my client, Julie, that's staying with me right now, mentioned that some some coach at the gym that she goes to back home had she's trained is training a client and told that client who is a between a newbie and intermediate like only maybe been training semi serious for like actually more towards a newbie they've been only training serious for like six months he gave her four leg days a week and so my immediate thought was I was like all right there's a way that everything can make sense in the sense of like I don't know exactly what they're doing over those four days maybe this is a temporary thing so I was like maybe if they split it up into a quad day and hamstring day and they have two of those a week and it's really low volume and they're just practicing the movements maybe but then I learned that they're a newbie and they're still skinny and I'm like no they're just gonna beat the shit out of themselves and that is something that I see really often because like in the beginning, like training is usually the most fun part. Like usually throughout our whole career, it's the most fun part. It's not the food. It's not the sleep. It's not, well, maybe the drugs for some people. Yeah, I don't know, know. But it's the part that, yeah, it's, especially in the beginning, it's really fucking fun. So you want to do it super often, but I think people need a way to know because we're, we're, we're encouraging them like, Hey, like practice movements and learn how to go hard. But how does someone towards the beginning know that they're doing too much. Like I heavily judge off of just because I think it's maybe the easiest to track. I'm like, don't train anything that's sore. Like don't train joints that are sore. Really don't train muscles that are sore. Not because that's always 100% the case of exactly how you should do it. Cause maybe some, you know, far from failure training, some pump work can actually spur recovery more than further break that person down for sure. But in a newbie, that would be so hard to regulate. And I think one of the most simple things that I just tell people is like, don't fucking train anything that is sore, but that doesn't take care of the CNS considerations. That doesn't take care of a lot of other stuff. So like, what else do you guys say to people like that to convey like, Hey, I want you going hard, but like, do not do too much. If you notice blank, 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 we're going to pull you back. So I track, I track variable um, metrics with my clients in terms of that soreness being one of them. It's not something I pay too, too much attention to, but it's just one of those things that I put down and I'm like, all right, I'm going to uh, pay attention to this. And like you said, it's mainly not so um, determining volume, but it's determining frequency. So say I wouldn't want someone to train legs when they're already sore from their last leg day. So we may, you know, spread those sessions out a little bit more, may reduce the volume um, in that first session. So we kind of reduce that soreness, make sure they're recovered before that next session. Maybe soreness isn't necessarily one in one correlated with recovery, but I just think from an injury prevention standpoint that, you know, training a muscle when you're sore is probably not the best idea in terms of preventing injury overall. And, and you know, output in that session too, uh, you're not necessarily going to be able to output as efficiently as you would have if you weren't necessarily as sore 
uh, during that session. The second one being pumps. I know not a lot of people don't think pumps are correlated with hypertrophy, but I think if you're not getting a pump, you're doing something wrong. So if you are, you know, not necessarily, if you're getting a one out of five pump, and I know there's probably either something wrong with your nutrition or there's something wrong with how you're actually executing those movements and you're probably not getting the stimulus that you probably should in order to uh, create that hypertrophy. The last one being obviously performance, like I said in my logbook, uh, if those numbers are going down drastically, then I know you're probably doing too much. Um, and one honorable mention is from time to time, if a client is complaining about, um, you know, feeling a little like they may be doing too much, maybe um, under recovered is a performance during the session. If that starts to drop off, so say if they're doing hack squats and they're doing uh, five plates and they get five plates for one set, they get five plates for two sets. And then by the third set, they're, they dropped off two plates and they're doing three plates per side. And then they're doing one plate per side by that last set and you're still aiming for around that same rep range, then I'm like, okay, maybe that's a little bit too much because you're getting to that point where that one plate you could have done for 100 reps is now you're getting for 10 reps and you're probably, um, that's probably just a sign that you're doing a little bit too much during that session to have that drastic of a strength drop off. And we all have gotten to that point, I'm sure, where you know you start training and your muscle isn't even contracting anymore. You're just going through the motions. And that's a, another thing to look out for, maybe session duration. Um, overall, I think that probably means that session is too long and you could be splitting up that volume across the week a little bit more efficiently and not necessarily driving so much stimulus in one single session in the week. But those are the things I keep track of. That was yeah. so good. And you had I just, just one quick question for you that, well, maybe we can all answer this too. But when you said, you know, if the strength massively falls off, I totally agree. The question becomes for one of those people where you're just like, hey, I want you to get in all this volume on this muscle, though maybe it's a big priority or something like John with my arms or something. We're like, hey, you need to get you need to get this work in. How how much less value do you think those two sets where the strength falls off? How much less value do you think those have than sets that could be later on in the week? Like because some people would say like, oh, you, well, basically, in a, in a sense, you pre-fatigue yourself for those sets where you're weaker with those heavier sets up front. And it's all equal because it's still all technically close to failure and stuff. Or do you think at a certain point it's like, no, dude, you burn through the glycogen in your muscles and your nerves are not activating your muscle fibers in the way that they should be anymore. And you're literally just not able to physiologically push your muscles hard enough to grow. How... How do you, I guess, feel about differentiating those? I know it's kind of a higher level one, but. <laughs> so um, honestly, with that, it would come down to those other factors as well. And, you know, not just looking at that session drop off. If, if strength is dropping off from session to session, not just during that session itself, then I could probably be like, all right, this is causing a little bit too much. This may be a little bit too much. But like you were asking about um, it being a little bit too much during that single session, um, that, that is a hard one to gauge because I don't think anyone can for sure say there's not been like a single study where they're like, all right, let's do a set and to the point where you can't contract it anymore, or let's split it up between two sessions to where you're feeling good in the first session, feeling good in the last session. I would just say from a logic standpoint, if you're outputting more, you're probably going to be getting more input in terms of, uh, returning to results, um, whether that means, uh, you're doing more weight or more reps. 
uh, for that particular movement with obviously had the same execution, I would say would probably lead to a little bit better growth just from having more of that mechanical tension stimulus being driven through that load. Uh, but also you could make the argument that, hey, if you're uh, killing it during a specialization block for say, like you're saying arms, if someone's doing an arm specialization block where we may have two to three arm days during a week, I may be like, all right, for arms, let's let's push those sessions to that point where you know things may not necessarily be contracting as much or you may be feeling like you're doing a little bit too much because that's the goal with arms is we're trying to grow them um, and we may put all those other body parts at maintenance voluming uh, pay attention to the metric with those with those other body parts not particularly arms so it is kind of like a confusing thing i don't think anyone could say for sure one is better or the other i, I think it almost can come down to to like if a muscle for you tends to recover, like say you do like, I don't know, eight working sets for your quads versus eight working sets for your, I don't know, triceps or something. My triceps tend to recover pretty quickly. So if I'm getting, I don't know, like six sets in or however many sets in during a workout, and I'm like, eh, I'm not really like feeling this as much anymore. I can probably just hit them again later in the week and they won't be sore going into that next session. So it's fine. Like I could probably hit triceps three times a week if I really wanted to specialize. However, with quads, it only takes me like one really good set and then they are sore for like four days. So, so at maybe just one theory is like for those quad days, I should just brutalize myself. You know what I mean? Even if the strength massively falls off towards the end, it's like, I'm not really going to be able to hit them again for another four days anyway. So I might be able to get more volume in realistically across the week if I'm just brutalizing the quads, but the arms I'm doing a little more frequently. The other part that comes into this too that makes it even more complicated for stuff like this is your with the quad thing, for example, say the quads are recovering pretty fast, but doing two real quad days a week for your connective tissue is something that you can't really handle. We do have to worry about like, hey, what can your muscles handle number of working sets wise and frequency wise versus what can, you know, my, my like quad tendon handle across the week too. So it's like, sometimes I'm like, I know that my knees are not going to be able to handle me doing two, you know, main like squatting or leg pressing, high squatting, whatever movements in the same week. So maybe I'll just brutalize them one day, give them a full six days recover, and then I can come back at it the next time. Whereas like my elbows can take a fucking beating with the tricep work. So it almost comes down to like, you almost have to think outside of the muscle recovery piece of it sometimes in order to figure out how you can actually get the most muscular stimulus while worrying about all the other shit too. I think that's why training becomes such a discussion too, is because it is so individual from person to person. Like Jensen was saying, I do better the opposite. Actually, if I hit like an actual arm day and just brutalize that, my arms grow a little bit more. And if I do legs a little bit more frequently, I can handle that a little bit better and it tends to uh, work out in my favor a little bit better. But it, that just comes down. It's not one that's right or wrong. It's just down to how that individual um, may respond to that. So that is another thing to account for uh if the viewer isn't completely fucking confused and wants to absolutely shoot themselves in the head at this point <laughs> uh, with the amount of topics we've covered but i think that um yeah that's just a that is just another uh, whole rabbit hole we can go down so i think there's a couple things that make it very easy to like simplify this right because i'm sure on your intake forms or even ben or things like that right where it's like Hey, if I were to ask you what you wanted to prove, they're like, improve. They're like, all of it, all of it. Like, I need more leg. I need more arm. Shoulders suck. And I'm like, okay, well, if I were to give you $10, 
because that's your recovery right there. It's not infinite, right? It may, let's just say that if I give you, we put in drugs, it goes up to $12. Where are you allocating those dollars? What is the most important emphasis? And you're like, okay, I want to put five towards my back because I'm white and my back sucks. And I want to put the other five towards my quads. Everything else can just stay in maintenance. And it's like, okay, that's what we're going to focus on this block, right? I think that's a very easy way. And then to talk on um, kind of like how much we're allocating in terms of sets per um, training a session, I guess. Uh, the way that I kind of describe this is like, okay, if I were to ask you, Jensen, to do 10 200-meter sprints in the pool, and those are your working sets, your 10th sprint should not look like your first sprint. Yep. Yep. So in real realization, or I guess in like, you know, putting this to application, what are we actually getting out of doing 20 sets in that workout? Like, let's be honest. And at that point, your mental focus, your mental like fatigue is starting to set in winners. And that's where we could say that junk volume is just starting to come in. Now, there's this is obviously 20 sets could be dictated by like, are you doing like we said, like pre exhaust? Are we doing supersets? Are we doing Milos giant sets of five rounds of five exercises? And that's 20 sets right there. You just do fucking, you know, four rounds and you're 20 sets. So it's it's all you know, like you just talked about kind of dictated on that person and, and training can be manipulated in so many different ways. Um, so, yeah. And then I guess lastly would be touching on, you know, the, I, I just lost my train of thought. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's so much to, to go on there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ben, uh, we from you in a bit. Do you want to hop back in? <laughs> Maybe you can simplify the, the theory yeah. went down. We had some I just dove down the rabbit hole of theory because I just like talking to you guys. <laughs> Most of the time I'm back here thinking like, oh, that'd be good. And then someone says it and I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> That's so, what I get more smart guys in a room. We all, it's, I do think. Yeah. I don't have too, too much to add, but I mean, I think a little side note of all this is when in doubt, just take a rest day. I think people are very, very like, hesitant to do that thinking it's pushing them behind and it's it's going to stall their progress but honestly i'd say like 90 percent of the time an extra rest day is going to help you and not hurt you it's really oh. it's important to be able to do that and not be so neurotic about i must train five days this week like yeah really. <laughs> i think in order to actually earn the ability to have that auto regulation you need to go through a period of time where you're actually stuck to a program it's like the person who's never dieted before and they're like oh i'm just gonna start swapping out you know my my chicken for ground beef and all that stuff it's like you haven't really earned that because you've never followed a diet for like six weeks straight so it's yeah. also you know you need to frame it at least with that discussion of like all right you need to have that ability to lock in but once you do and once you have then you can actually um, play around with things a little bit more on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and that kind of comes back to like at the very beginning we touched on where it's almost like you got to fucking try shit, unfortunately. And you can't skip the trial and error process. Unfortunately, if we could give you anything, it would be awesome to be like, yeah, this is what's going to work best. It's not going to work best for you. Unfortunately, like we all think we have an idea, but unfortunately 
time is really something that you can't skip past. And you need to have periods of maybe being glued to the fucking logbook and really just progressing. And then you, your joints hurt after six months of sticking that program. And you're like, fuck, man, you look back at your progress. And was it as good in that six months as it was the six months prior where you're just intuitively training? And maybe you need to have periods of RPE and RAR or maybe doing volume training or, or doing like a German volume training where you're doing 10 sets of 10 and you're just a fucking retard for no reason. Um, but it's like, I, I, I think that's something that I, I guess like we can't skip past. And unfortunately, that's like the, the reality of it just fucking takes time. And then I guess to leave on a, a good note, kind of like what Ben said there is like a lot of the times it's not more plus more. Like I love that mentality of people are just like it's team no sleep. And I got four hours sleep and I'm in the gym and I'm hitting fucking legs. And it's like, no, you're a fucking retard. You're not, you're going to have a shitty session and then you're going to be under recovered and you're going to come in the next day. And it's like, all of us as coaches are like, you should have just fucking moved your rest day to today and train legs tomorrow. Like, come on, man. Like that, that's where I think auto regulation, that's, that's not even auto regulation. That's just having a fucking brain, right? Just like that's, yeah. Just thinking like realistically, am I going in and I'm going to get the most out of the session? Probably not. Okay. You know what? It's smarter to take a rest day and I'll finish with when I was training with Nate and I'm sure we've all been there as well. I know Ben went through a period of this, his last push. He said that everyone he's talked to and the most progress he's ever made, he was only training four days a week. Boom, mic drop. Fuck all of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you guys want, I can kind of frame how I periodize all of this for a client like Danilo or something. So um, so for Danilo going into his um, show, uh, both of his shows, what we did was kind of uh, stick to around what he was doing, maybe two sets for compounds, three sets for isolations. And the goal was to leave about zero to one rep in reserve of compounds, not necessarily to take those to failure because he was on prep and then isolation movements. We would, uh, you know, do as many reps as possible, whether that's zero RAR or failure uh, coming out of that show. Um, I know that most people are probably going to be a little bit more injurious to injury uh, just because of how dry you were going into that show. Also, the rebound, how much glycogen you're actually holding and how that actually changes your leverages during lifts from a week to week basis, which could necessarily put you in a higher risk for injury. So what I would do is actually reduce the intensity and maybe drive up the volume. So go through a phase where we keep intensity a little bit more static in terms of the load that we're using and just drive up volume in terms of working sets on uh, particular body parts or maybe just across the board all around. Uh, once we get to that point where we're like, all right, now we're actually going to start our off season, uh, we'll probably transition back to something a little bit more high intensity, lower volume, um, and just kind of stick with that for a little phase. I, he likes to work around, um, you know, kind of in that zero to one RAR for compounds. So we'll kind of stick with that and isolations, obviously taking a failure and depending on how that goes for uh, the client using Danilo as the example, he has the ability to switch between one and the other and be able to eke out progress without necessarily plateauing, which is something I like to do with my clients is not necessarily have them stick to 
this uh, rigid, you know, sort of low volume, high intensity approach for life. I think that you kind of rob the ability uh, to explore someone's minimum and maximum volumes and recoverability uh, by doing so. And I think you're just kind of pigeonholing a client in a box by making them follow your specific training philosophy without playing around with things too. So what we're actually doing now is uh, pushing down, uh, like I said before, going into the high intensity phase, coming out of it, see how he responds. And based on that, we'll kind of determine whether or not the next phase would be a little bit more volume focused, keeping intensity static or keeping intensity static and a little bit more volume focused in terms of driving up that stimulus. Um, but overall, I think that the number one thing you need to be doing is at least having some idea of how you're going to be periodizing training. Obviously, going into prep, you don't necessarily need to be focusing on driving up um, intensifiers on like, say, a drop set or something like that. You may just be getting away with the straight set and that just may be enough to hold on to the tissue you have, especially towards the end where you're not building muscle and you don't have that recovery ability to actually build that muscle in the first place. And then in the off season, when you have that ability, when you're probably at less risk for injury, you could drive up load a little bit more and drive up intensity without necessarily having to worry about it. And I think that that is one mistake I see a lot of people um, coming into when they're starting to train people is that they're so focused on driving one specific style of training or whatever their approach is and just being super dogmatic about it. And I could say that I worked with JP for a little bit and I love the guy, but he is probably the most dogmatic person in, in the industry when it comes to training, just in terms of you have to take every set to failure. You can't be doing, you know, three, four sets on a particular exercise. Um, and if you are, you're probably not doing too many exercises in that workout. Um, and, you know, kind of having that whole Mike Menser hit approach. Um, but as I've evolved as a person and kind of seen different people come across my desk, different personalities and individuals, I've kind of uh, driven more towards, you know, keeping an idea of what may work best for that individual, but also exploring different avenues of uh, driving stimulus, um, not necessarily having to be intensity or just volume focus, but we can kind of switch between the both. And I think that creates a good ground because you wouldn't just diet forever and expect the same result. You wouldn't just bulk forever and expect the same result. You wouldn't take the same cycle forever and expect the same result. So why are you training the same and expecting the same result? You've got to change something eventually. And that is, um, I think, the biggest point there. What do you guys think is causing the resurgence, I guess, of um, low volume training, high intensity? People are acting like they just discovered the fucking 80s. I'm like, you know, he also took meth and shit when he trained, right? Yeah, I, I was just about to say <laughs> <laughs> Mike Menser, um, I'm sure he was a great bodybuilder. I'm sure he taught a lot of people some great things, but um, the guy didn't train like that while he was a bodybuilder. He didn't train low, low volume, high intensity. He trained like Arnold. And when he transitioned out of bodybuilding, he started selling those hit training programs for a profit with Arthur Jones. Oh, you're going to say selling meth. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> doing meth. Doing meth, living with bodybuilders who was paying his rent so he could keep doing meth and um, putting out heavy-duty training, which was completely just a sales pitch for the average individual. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a lack of knowledge of bodybuilding history. I think people like to look back. And it's, you know, it's fashion trends, right? What, what was 
popular in the 90s is probably going to be popular in like 10 years was popular in the 70s probably going to be popular in like five years so i think the same thing comes with training and bodybuilding there's only so much to talk about that after a certain point i think some people just take contrarian viewpoints just to be controversial or just to add something to the, the discussion uh when it may not necessarily be something that's super groundbreaking like they make it seem It's funny. I was listening to the last Cutler cast and he was doing like a, like a seminar in like Germany or Denmark or something. And someone asked him the question, why is low volume making its way back to the forefront? And, um, and, and Jay basically was like, delete that question from your phone. Just like, I can tell that you premeditated, put that together and asked me this question. And he was like, I don't have a problem with the question. He's just like, I have a problem with, today's society overthinking training and he was like you should go into the gym fill the muscle fill it up and then that's going to work and he was like it's you know and, and it was so funny because the guy's question was like why is it making such a forefront when not really anyone that we have at the top is doing any type of log booking or fucking i guess really like low volume like so structured with their training i mean i guess the highest that we could have would be maybe hunter and hunter i would say he's kind of even taking a step back he's like been pretty open where he's like i'm not yeah. so glued to shooting myself in the foot i think for his uh words there of um the logbook so Part of it, I think, too, is the average person is not going to follow, like, top coaches, so to speak, that are putting out a ton of really good athletes that maybe aren't, like, the most fucking freakishly genetically gifted. Or maybe they do have a ton of genetically gifted people that come across their desk. Most – the average person or the average lifter or whatever, they're just going to look up to whoever is, like, top in the sport or used to be top in the sport. But even – like, if you do that with, like, the biggest people, because you shouldn't just be looking for, like, the top of your division, per se. You should be looking for, like, literally who is pushing the absolute most growth. If you want to see how much you can grow, those people, the big-ass open guys or the big-ass wellness chicks – they're not doing super low volume. So it's like, like you're like these people that are looking at this shit are never going to get to the point where they're like, Oh, I need to super refine these things to only grow this or only grow this. No, they just want to grow a fuck ton systemically. If they already were at the point where they needed to be super specific with what they're growing and not growing, they wouldn't be looking at fucking TikTok Mike Menser memes. So it's like for those people, they they need to just at least follow other celebrity bodybuilder people that are the biggest now that we've like ever had and just ignore Ronnie because he was a separate thing, an entity that we shouldn't <laughs> try to compare ourselves with and maybe take everything from because he is his own creature. I will play devil's advocate though I, when you're saying follow I think you're talking about more so like looking at it like you or I would or anyone who has common sense would and just kind of taking the general ideas of like what all these people are doing and kind of being like okay everyone's training 
pretty hard. Everyone's training with a certain amount of volume. Everyone's doing all of this, but it's not, you know, I don't think you're necessarily saying, okay, look at this guy. Exactly how Dusty Hanshaw performs a barbell row is exactly how you should perform a barbell row. I'm just saying if they're going to oh. follow people super specifically and just try to mimic it because maybe they just get all their information from memes and they don't have enough time to like learn it all like we did or something, or they don't, you know, listen to shit like like what we're putting out if you're going to just obsess with one person and like just follow everything they do because you're not using common sense you're just following one person at least do it with the people that are actually the biggest in modern times because that is the most updated information that is the absolute now biggest of all time you know what i mean like that at least would make more sense than jumping back to a previous era and be like hey before we had the information of the last 40 years this was the best. This must still be the best. Like that logic just does not make sense to me. <laughs> because it's not how it works with any other sport in on right. the planet. <laughs> yeah. Right. You don't look at how um, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were training and be like, okay, that is how I become the best basketball player of all time. You don't right. look back at how Muhammad Ali was using fucking $30 gloves that you could probably get now and be like, okay, those gloves were the secret. I need to go buy those gloves. It's like you look at who is the most like current best athletes. What are they currently doing in general across the board? And then you frame your decisions around that if you want the best progress possible. Um, you know, just, you know, you can't always look into all these different. Okay, so. This is my number. Oh, I'm about to fucking get heated right now, but you look back and <laughs> you, there's so many people who are humongous fucking fans of like the golden era who just absolutely train with so much junk volume. And we're over here talking about intensity volume and like everyone, but like if you're doing a hundred sets per workout, that is literally as dumb as coming in and doing one set in a workout it is the exact same thing it is there there is a range for everything and you need to fall within that range if you're doing too much or too little that is just as bad it's it's the same thing and i think that so many people are looking for ways now of how they can outsmart training in terms of like outsmart volume um do more volume rir and all this shit but at the end of the day it's like you need to be able to lock in and be able to get after it. And that really is what it comes down to. It's the most simple thing. And trading can also be the most complicated thing on planet Earth. Yeah, it is. All right, Jensen, why don't you? All right, I'll do that for now. Yeah, and we got to go. But, <laughs> all right, guys, thanks for listening in. Tom, I like, I like that outro. Yeah. But obviously we covered a very broad range of stuff today, kept it, you know, mostly focused mm -hmm. on training. But I think the biggest takeaways were like Thomas saying at the end, there's a range of shit that works. Just try to stay in that range. Like if you want to like have a combination of like <laughs> really, really thinking about things and just going and doing it, some, some combination of those, just try to stay within the range, try to stay within a reasonable range for volume, intensity, and frequency that really goes for everything in bodybuilding people have done it a zillion different ways but there is shit that is objectively stupid and that's when you go outside of those ranges okay so you probably shouldn't be hitting legs four times a week you probably shouldn't be doing just one set per body part you definitely shouldn't be doing 100 sets per body part and you definitely should have a pump when you are training 
if you're hitting all of those things and you're not training sore muscles, yeah, there's a lot of other shit that we covered, but you probably are doing an okay job if you're doing those things. And at some point when you're tracking the logbook, it's progressive. Okay. Um, guys, one second. Do you guys see these wellness programs where these girls are training legs every day, four or five times a week? Like yeah. the and I'm just like, at that point, you're probably not training anything else. And that comes down to that 52 set study that Brad Schoenfield was talking about, where they're doing squats for what no one reads about that study is they were only doing legs. Like they weren't training their upper body alongside that. So, I mean, you can make an argument for a specialization phase, but every single day that just goes against the recoverability and of anything science-based. I mean, at least three, three days, I would say is enough time between sessions if we're going to give someone a take-home point for frequency yep yeah i would say train train something hard once every three to five days maybe i mean i would argue even if you are training just legs four or five times a week is fucking way too much like where are you fitting that volume in and where are you recovering you know where are you recovering how many movements can you even do across five days for legs? There's only so many squats and leg presses, unless this person's going to like five different gyms. Yeah. Sorry to, yeah, go ahead, wrap it up. No, you're good, but, all right, guys, so we got a little bonus point in, but enjoy the rest of the day. We catch you on the flip side and logs out.